Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. And if you just read you, this is a test transmission. It opens a new and, I think, exciting chapter in the story of radio. This is going to be a service to provide a tremendous amount of information and satisfy a lot of different interests. I was always itching to shake it during a program. In the air, on the river and underground. We hope very much that uh, Derek can hear us. Can you hear us? From Resonance 104.4 FM and Social Broadcast, this is the Transmitter Radio Hour from XMTR.FM, a new space dedicated to sonic storytelling, original sounds, new voices and archive treasures from radio broadcasts, podcasts and sound art across the globe. I'm Lucia Skedzokyo and I've been scanning the digital soundscape to cut through the noise. In this next hour, I'll be speaking to Pat Eakin Young from Samworlds. Samworlds is actually, I'll just let Pat take over. Hi, I'm Pat Eakin Young, and I am the creator and host of Soundworlds. Soundworlds is a sonic storytelling podcast. Generally, it is scripted fiction, but it also you know, sometimes takes the form of nonfiction, but it's always about telling stories. And specifically, it's about telling stories that combine music and sound design to create these kind of immersive sound worlds that you briefly inhabit. And it's short form. It's not an extended series. There's a lot of fiction on podcasting that is like a longer form, you know, serialized storytelling, but this is short form. Each episode kind of contains itself. Uh, You enter into it, you have an experience, and then you exit it at the end. That's the description, I suppose. When I was starting to make it, you know, and still to this day, like there aren't that many points of reference in terms of other people who are making exactly this kind of work, which is partly why I thought I should make it myself. Yeah, I guess we don't have this history or there isn't so much experimental radio in the UK as, for example, in Europe, in Germany, Belgium, places like that. And even in France, there's a real scene of more kind of experimental radio and people doing different things with sound on the radio and transferring that into podcasts. And that is less of a thing here. So I can understand that, you know, you might not have come across the kind of work that you're doing in the English language because we're very much, I guess influenced by a certain kind of radio making in terms of radio and then in the UK and then we've become very influenced by a kind of American podcast making. So you're sort of bridging two different worlds, which is what drew me to your work is that, you know, it's very playful. It is fiction, but it's also quite experimental. You're you're really playing with sound and your theatre background definitely comes through. So do you want to tell me how you ended up working in sound, moving from theatre into sound? Was it a COVID thing or was it something that you'd always wanted to do anyway? Yeah, well, it it was a COVID thing and I'll I'll explain that in a second. But I, I just wanted to respond to what you just said about this kind of wealth of experimental podcasting material in Europe. Because it's so funny that uh, I came from a 
a theater background, but specifically like a music theater background. I was for many years a music theater maker, not in the sense of like musicals, but in a more European definition of like what music theater is, which is, you know, staged storytelling with music. And which I think in a very analogous way, there's a kind of lack of understanding or a lack of like of this kind of work in the UK theater scene. But when I was making this work, there was so much more that was being made in Belgium, in Germany, you know, on the continent and all these different places. And I think it stands to reason that like they have a richer, you know, music theater and environment and that then that translates into a kind of richer just sound world you know experimental radio because they're already thinking about musical storytelling in a way that we're just haven't been thinking about it so much in the UK I mean there's opera and there's musicals and uh, music theater at least the music theater that I used to make and the music theater that I would encounter when I did go and see work in Europe, which I used to do quite a lot, existed someplace in between. And I actually started a kind of organization in the UK called New British Music Theater, partly as a way to kind of promote the concept of, of music theater in the UK, but also because there was a lot of work that was being created, which I considered music theater, but wasn't sort of self-aware. A lot of artists were making sound works. This was performance, live performance, which involved music and storytelling in some way. So, But they might be coming from an art perspective, or they might be coming from a kind of experimental theater perspective and not really sort of considering themselves music theater, or they might be musicians themselves. And I feel like I've always been interested in this middle space where people are using sound and music to tell stories. And, and this is the kind of work that I've been making or was making for, you know, 10 years, basically. I had a company named Erratica, which initially was a kind of experimental opera company. And then we moved sort of further away from the classical opera idiom and more towards just general music and storytelling. When the pandemic happened, you know, I had a bunch of projects that were just canceled. Like so many people in theater, everything just stopped. And the biggest piece that I, I ever made um, as a theater piece was a piece called Remnants, which I made in 2017, which we actually released as our first three episodes of, of the podcast. And that piece was about to go to the Sydney Festival, in which would have been January 2021. And the pandemic just totally put the kibosh on that, like that was not happening. And I really seriously considered leaving you know, theater and leaving the arts entirely at the time, I just thought this is too hard. I can't keep going. And, you know, I'm going to have to start all over again when the pandemic's over. Because, you know, as a theater maker, as a, as a kind of artist, it's really, you know, it's really hard to get momentum going with projects and it takes so long to get them created, to get people interested in them. It's a real struggle. But, you know, for whatever reason, I thought, actually, maybe I can do something, I can kind of sidestep. I'd always been interested in um, podcasts, principally because I'm, I'm really interested in nonfiction storytelling. And I thought that some of the best nonfiction storytelling was happening on podcasts. And I thought this is such an interesting sort of storytelling medium, such an interesting almost theatrical medium. And my piece, Remnants, used interviews, this interview text. It was based on this woman's memoir about her experience in Bosnia. She was a, a Bosnian-American, and she went to Bosnia in the 90s to help excavate the, the graves around Srebrenica. And she sort of tells that story and then also tells the story of her family and her grandmother who lived in Sarajevo before the Second World War. And although she wasn't Jewish, she was in love with a Jewish man. And he was eventually, you know, captured by the fascists and murdered in a concentration camp. And it was a kind of piece about the connections between these atrocities and, and this region and the history of conflict and trauma and families. But it was all done through interviews. My father was a storyteller who told me about his childhood he told me about the early days in America. He told me about my grandmother. 
When I was little, he told me stories about the war, but he took care not to tell the terrible things. With time, he began adding details. When he thought that we were old enough to understand, he began telling us the other stories as well. Sorry about that. Okay. Oh, boy. Sorry about that. What's that? Ah, uh, yeah. There were letters. There were keys. There were... Um, I remember that... Everything is inside. When we unzipped the bags, everything was there. There was decomposed flesh, which looked like reddish-brown dirt. There was hair, there were bones. There was clothing and shoes. It was the things that people carried. You know, it was the letters and the photographs and things like that. Those were the things that I thought about in the evenings and the things that kept me from sleeping and were there right away again when I woke up in the morning. The strangest dream I had, I had a dream about a swimming pool and I can still see this dream. And in the swimming pool, there was a collection of torsos, headless, armless, legless torsos. And they were all floating just above the bottom of the pool. And it was as if the current had rocked them all into the same position. And so they were all, all of them were tilted at exactly the same angle. They were all facing in the same direction. The war had been over for exactly a year when I arrived in Bosnia-Herzegovina. But Bosnia-Herzegovina had been split into these two entities. So there was the Federation, which was the Muslim-Croat Federation on one side, and there was Republika Srpska, which was the Serb Republic on the other side. Srebrenica, which is the place where the mass graves were, where I participated in excavations, that was in Republika Srpska. My father did not know. Well, sorry. My father did know that I was going to Bosnia, but he thought that I was going to work in an office job he had no idea that I was actually going to go out into Bosnia. My father was the father who would not allow us to sleep over for slumber parties. He would not allow us to be without his or my mother's supervision almost anywhere. He trusted nobody. He was so overprotective as a father. He was so scared as a father that something would happen to us. So when I told my father that I was going to Bosnia, I knew that if I told him what I would be doing, he'd be worried on two counts. First, he'd be worried that something would happen to me, that I'd step on a mine, that somebody would... But as much as anything, he feared, I think, the psychic damage that would have come from what I was doing.
Had he known, he would probably have flown over and put me in a straitjacket and flown me right back to the United States. Yeah. This piece was very much inspired by podcasts, but I staged it as a as a music theater piece. It had four singers. It was completely through composed, and it had this voiceover. It also had a dancer, and the dancer embodied a lot of the of the action, and brought a lot of kind of poetic expression. And I've used a lot of choreography and dance in my theater work, and. You know, when the pandemic happened, I was like, well, Remnants is kind of already a podcast. So maybe we should just turn it into a podcast. I was developing this other piece, which was an adaptation of these Raymond Carver short stories called What We Talk About When We Talk About Love. And I was like, well, these pieces could probably just be audio. Let's just make them as audio. Then I started to put together the first season and then we kind of filled it out with, I knew this theater collective in, in the Netherlands called Club Gewalt, who I've always really loved their work and they're very kind of like pop and, and irreverent. I knew that they had a piece called Man on Wire about that, that documentary Man on Wire and they'd released it as an album. And I was like, well, why don't you guys just take your album and and like add some text to the album and let's turn it into a kind of radio analysis of the album so that we release that piece. And then I've always been interested in collaborating with musicians. So I thought, well, why don't we commission some musicians to make works and we'll get them to tell stories as well. And that was our, our fourth project in that first season, which was a collaboration with the music label in London called Erase Tapes. That piece was called Home Tapes, and it was three artists kind of thinking about home. Obviously, is during the pandemic, so everyone was confined to their home. And the reason this was possible is because we got some money from the Arts Council as a kind of emergency pandemic holdover. It was just a kind of whim. I thought, well, why not? You know, like I've always wanted to be making podcasts. I've always been too busy making theater. Let's just try this. And, you know, I think it was really successful. Like we liked that first season and it gave me a lot of satisfaction. And also in a weird way, like removed a lot of the uncomfortableness that I had been experiencing in live theater. And so I thought, well, let's do another one. What uncomfortableness were you experiencing out of curiosity? I mean, partly it's about me and my own, you know, psychology. And partly it's about the structures around theater. The thing that I love about making audio work, podcast work, is that there are no gatekeepers to distribution. And that's the, the like amazing, amazing thing about working on the internet, working in podcasting, is that, you know, you just pay for your, whoever hosts your podcast and it goes out. Obviously there are gatekeepers in terms of people who are writing about podcasts in terms of getting the marketing or the word out or like, you know, attracting an audience. But there is a kind of almost magical, natural audience that will at some level find your work. And at a certain point, like any artist is really just interested in like having people witness their art. Putting out a podcast, like someone will hear it. You don't know who they are. They're, they could be anywhere in the world. Someone might stumble upon you. They're searching for God knows what, and they find you. It's very difficult if you're an independent audio maker to go beyond your, your network. It's quite difficult to find independent work because in a way, yes, it's wonderful that you know you can put your work out there. But it does get lost in, in the sort of murky world of content. This is the, the gift and the curse of the internet is that anyone can put anything out there, but then how does it get found, you know? But the difference really when you make theater is that you need a stage. Obviously, there are ways to make theater that, you know, anything is a stage. You could make it in a room, you could make it in a, you know, on the street or whatever. But for me, at least when I was making theater, I wanted a stage and I wanted, you know, increasingly important stages. But, you know, the stage itself was sort of important just to get a room where you could make the work that you wanted to make. And that requires someone to program you. 
you know, and I used to spend all my time not really making work. I mean, I did make work, but, you know, most of my energy, because I also produced my own work, was really oriented towards finding and convincing programmers to allow me to present my work. You know, not even to necessarily pay you for your work, because a lot of theater artists will, you know, will identify that, like, generally, you're fundraising for your own fees anyways. You know, they offer you a space and an audience, and then you have to go somewhere else and, and you know, rustle up some of the money, and then you get you put a project together that way. But it was that step that, like, really, really got me down. It's that step of, like, even to get to your audience, you know, someone has to say yes or no. And the amazing thing about podcasting is, like, that doesn't happen. You put the work out there. And obviously, you know, we all want more audience because we're artists and we're attention whores. And, you know, we need that validation. But, like, at that first step, you know, you can just do it yourself. It's possible to be to be seen sort of organically in the internet space, which I find was really hard in the live performance space. Also because the work has a time limit. I was just going to say that, yeah. The, it, it's quite ephemeral, isn't it? The theatre, once it's done, it's done. That's it. Yeah. Oh, my God. So many times I would, you know, I'm putting on this show that it's taken me like two years to make or something. And it's maybe up for a week. Maybe it's up for, I mean, I've done shows that are up for three weeks. And I'm like emailing everybody I know to try and get them to come and see it. And you're just like begging and begging, begging and twisting people's arms. And, you know, maybe a fraction of them actually get to the theater. And you're like, what was it for? all of this work and the people who are going to determine whether you could do the next work didn't see it, you know? And I was getting like super, super frustrated. So actually for me, the pandemic came at like a, a great time where I was, I was really uh, available for something drastically to shift. The funny thing is I've, I found that I'm able to do almost the same thing you just have to shift your your kind of perspective of like what is being operated on. And I've, you know, made a concerted effort really with the sound worlds. That photograph that I sent you, I think that that photograph was taken in front of that house. The thing that strikes me most about the photo is that nobody is smiling. The ground is rough and stony. The doorway behind them is dark. I don't think it would have been a very nice existence, and certainly not for not for a woman. What I want to make is visual theater for your ears. I want you to see what you're hearing. And this actually came out of the original task of converting remnants because there's a lot of audio material in there. Um, there's a lot of storytelling. It, that part was easy to kind of just put into your headphones. The difficulty was like, what do you do when the dancer is supposed to be dancing? What happens? Because in a stage production, that is doing dramatic work. It's not just something to look at, but it's also, it's doing work for the audience. It's, it's giving them something that, that is, you know, allowing their imagination to expand. And so I was like, well, what's the equivalent in sound? The answer that I've found, I think, is sound design to a certain extent that you have to you know, really evoke these sound worlds that people inhabit. And then this kind of mixture between sound design and music. And then the music has to step forward in a way. And this is how I think about sound worlds now. It's like there is always kind of musical passages in each program that where the music just takes over for a while. And to me, like this is the dance moment.
this is the moment where if you set it up properly, the audience is taking over the storytelling in their own imagination. And they are starting to see it. And you don't have to describe what's happening. You know, you've painted the picture, you've set the stage, the music is now moving their imagination and depicting things weirdly in like a more vivid way than if you were trying to describe it either in just sound design or in dialogue or text or any of those kinds of things. I think the wonderful thing about sound, there is the space to allow the listener to imagine what's going on. And yes, you're helping them along the way with your sound design and the words that you use. Mm. But as they're listening, they're creating their own images, they're creating their own worlds, they're kind mm. of, and every person will do that differently and every person will have completely different images yeah so there's a kind of unique experience that happens when when someone's listening and that that's there's something quite magical about that yeah so i'm interested to know now that you've made these pieces in sound would you then be interested to take them into theater flip it yes and no in the sense that Yes, I am interested in taking Sound World's pieces back to the stage. And we have ambitions to do just that in the future. I wouldn't bother making theater anymore from the start. I found a very happy place in audio. I like the work that I'm doing. I'm making another season of Sound Worlds and I'm making other audio pieces. And I want to, I want to use my skills as a storyteller, as a director, in the audio format, in radio, wherever. I've got Sound Worlds as a kind of sandbox to play in, and then I'm starting to try and make, you know, uh, podcasting, storytelling pieces with other collaborators, you know, for other companies and these kinds of things. Like, I like I like this space. I, I'm, I'm happy here. I wouldn't go back and start making theater from scratch. I think the process is really hard and, you know, it just doesn't suit me anymore. However, I think that the pieces that I'm making in Sound Worlds could really easily be translated back to the stage. And I would love to do that. You know, narrative gigs, basically. From my house, I can see the sea. Take care now. See you tonight. I love you. I love you too. House, road, grassy cliff, sea, and town spreads out this way and that. Town is by the sea. It's from our second season. It's an adaptation of a children's book called Town is by the Sea, um, which I, in fact I first encountered reading it to my son. I thought, oh, this is this is like a really evocative piece and could be like a sound work. It's about a boy who lives in a coastal mining town in the east coast of Canada in the 1950s as he's like going around doing things, playing, you know, being a boy above ground. He's always thinking about his um, father who is you know, under the sea, mining under the sea. And it's obviously very dangerous work. There's that kind of danger lurking, and it's very subtly and beautifully sort of reflected in the book itself. It's a very, very beautiful book, and it's also very beautifully illustrated by this illustrator who, in fact, did the artwork for uh, our second season. I, I loved it so much that I commissioned him to do all the oh, artwork. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful, yeah. Um, yeah. So... When I say, oh, I'm interested in like making visual audio, you know, working from like uh, a children's book or a graphic novel, for instance, is like, this is like a really, really great way to make audio work because the images are so evocative. It has a kind of cinematic element, but also there's so much that you can imagine into the image. And it's like a really great script just to work from. You know, you have location, you have an indication of like what sound they're supposed to be in terms of like uh, incidental sound and foley and these kinds of things. But then there's also, especially if it's illustration, there's a real sense of mood and tone. And so those can be translated into a kind of musical form. 
you know, I was thinking about what musical collaborator would really complement it. And I found this woman named Anna Reingens, who's uh, part of a duo with her sister called the Reingens Sisters. She's just like really interesting young folk singer. When I'm thinking about these sound worlds, I'm thinking like, what is the sound of the of the mind? And not just like, what's the the sound design of the mind, but what is the feeling of the mind? What musical idea does the mind hold? There's like a musical idea that returns every time you go underground. And then you can also be sneaky about it and you can bring that musical idea back when you're not underground. And it means maybe you're thinking about underground or you're being haunted by it. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that we did with the music is we thought about, okay, we need to have a musical idea of the underground and this plaintive voice that is present it's like, what does that mean? And then there's there's a song. I knew that I wanted to have like a song kind of like uh, come out at some point. And this kind of woman's voice sort of sings this plaintive mining song throughout it. First thing I see when I look at the window is the sea. And I know my father is already deep down under that sea, digging for coal. out of my house and knock on my friend's door. Hi. Hi, Davy. Is Dawn ready? Dawn, Davy's here. Come on, Dawn. <laughs> Hurry up. Bye, Mom. And we head down to the old rickety playground. Hey, come on, race you. One, two, three, go. <laughs> come on. Slow down, Davy, I'm coming. There are only two swings left now, one for big kids and one for babies. There used to be four. One broke, and the other one is wound so high around the top post, it'll never come down. I don't care. I stand in the baby one, and my friend swings on the big one. Higher, higher. Come on, let's do this. We go so high, I'm higher. butterflies I'm rush higher. through my stomach. <laughs> higher, higher. We go so high, higher. I can see far out to sea. Far out at sea, the waves have white tips. And deep down under that sea, my father is digging for coal. When I get home for lunch, it goes like this. Hi, Mom. Hi, Davy. My mother has a bologna sandwich on the table and a tall glass of milk. I gulp it down and I eat a big pile of carrots. My mom says, I need your help now, Davy. Take this to the store. You ask Susie to get all this together for you. And don't dawdle too much. I need you to be back before your sister's nap. She sends me to the store with a list for the grocer. There's only a couple of blocks away on Main Street. Even walking slowly, I get to the store in no time. Hello, Susie. Hello there, Davy. What can I do for you today? Oh, here for some groceries. Oh, that's good. How's your mom?
It's so sunny today. The sea is sparkling. Deep down under that sea, my father is digging for coal. afternoon, it goes like this. I go to the graveyard to visit my grandfather, my father's father. He was a miner too. The air smells like salt. I can taste it on my tongue. My grandfather used to say, bury me facing the sea by, I worked long and hard underground. When there are big storms here, the waves crash against the shore, battering his gravestone with salt-soaked spray. That's okay. My grandfather is used to storms. Today, the sea is all calm and quiet. And deep down under that sea, my father is digging for coal.
at supper time that goes like this. My father comes home from work. Dad! <laughs> he has black smudges on his face from working the coal. Rough day? I'll tell you. He looks tired, but he gives me a big smile and a hug. I gotta get out of these clothes. His long work day is over, and he is home safe and sound. God, it's good to see you. He showers and puts on clean clothes and comes down to eat. My mother has been cooking, and the kitchen smells like chicken stew and potatoes. Davey, won't you set the table, please? I listen to the ball game on the radio while I set the table. After dinner, my mother and father sit on the porch, drinking cups of tea and talking. We were working in the new stove, and the front stalls just slipped. The back came crashing down on us. Oh, my God. Frank got trapped under some backfill. Skip and me went back in to get him. He's banged up pretty bad. Helen must be beside herself. I thought we were going to lose him for a minute. I'm just glad you're back. The sun sets slowly, sinking into the sea. Deep down under that sea is where my father digs for coal. many layers to this piece and I think that is also reflective in the actual story itself because it's not prescriptive at all. Mm, yeah, um, it's a bit ambiguous as to sort of what's... Yes, yeah. Well, you know, I've been working in ambiguous like theatre pieces but for so long but one of the things that I've always felt is like you as the maker have to have a very clear idea of what is happening. When I was younger, I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want anyone to know exactly what it means. If you don't know what it means, then you're going to make something vague and the audience is just going to have that feeling. If you know what it means and you might express it in a medium that is, you know, abstract, the audience might not get what you had in mind, but what they will get is a sense of, of purpose. And, the, and clarity. And so, you know, I think very, very deeply about these episodes. What I think is there may not be what people experience, but, you know, I have a really clear idea of like what it is that each element is trying to achieve and what each element means. And I think what comes across to the audience is that sense of clarity, even if you don't always know what's happening in the moment and maybe you're imagining it differently than I'm imagining it. Yeah, and I think this piece does it. I feel this piece sort of has the balance between narrative and music and sound design. That is kind of the ideal, what I like to achieve in all of the pieces. I think this one does achieves it the best. One of the other pieces I'd like to talk about is uh, our Christmas episode from the second season, Christmas Party. This one features Douglas Dare, who's a, a brilliant musician, singer, songwriter, here in London. And this was an interesting project and also like super fun to do. It was a live concert that we recorded in my house, in my living room. And then we kind of had this idea that it was going to be a live concert with a story sort of set inside the concert. And we recorded the concert and then kind of wrote a script and then re-recorded that script and then kind of edited that into the concert. And we recorded the whole concert actually with like a, a binaural microphone and then kind of walked around the space. And I really like this idea of like recording something live, but then putting something kind of not live, like after the fact into it. And this combination of 
kind of real event with a kind of fictional narrative that existed around it. You're a guest at a Christmas party and this sort of, you know, like extravagant gay sort of trust fund baby, I guess, or, you know, one of these sort of like arty, rich, hackney people has invited you to this Christmas party he's having at his house and Douglas is playing and is also kind of giving you all the gossip about his partner's not there and he's kind of making excuses for partner and then it comes out that his partner is actually hiding upstairs and, you know, won't come down. But it's all sort of set to this music, which is both a live concert and also a score. And I love that idea that it's it's an incidental musical experience that is also a kind of emotional heightening of what the narrative is saying, this kind of confusion between what's like diegetic sound and like non-diegetic. Yeah, I really like that. Darling, you made it. Come in, come in. I'm so happy to see you. I cannot tell you. I'm hosting Solo this evening. Andy's not even here. He got stuck in LA. I'm so upset. Oh, you look great, by the way. You're literally in just in time. The music's about to start. Come on, throw your coat over there. Come on, come on, come, come, come. Uh, Excuse us, sorry. Sorry, oops. Excuse us, sorry. Sorry, There's so many people. Don't worry, I'll introduce you around later. Uh, Andy's flight got bumped and there was some kind of bomb scare at the airport. It grounded all the flights and then everything was delayed a day. Awful. He'll land tomorrow, hopefully. But the party must go on. Oh, it's Christmas after all. Shh, 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 shh. This is Douglas Dare. He's great. Andy and I met him at a party. It was kind of a chem-sex party, but there weren't any chems, so it was just sex. And warm white wine. Anyway, Douglas was playing the party. He came dressed in this gorgeous emerald green caftan and just performed right in the middle of the orgy. Afterwards, we shared an Uber home together. He lives just round the corner. I said to him, you've got to come and play our Christmas party. And so, you know, here he is. I'm so glad he did, because he's an absolute gem. Darling, do you know anyone here? 
I hired someone to invite most of them because I'm, I'm launching my face oil next week. Did I tell you that? Take a bottle home with you. They're just by the front door. I want people talking about it, you know, the right people. You see that woman in the tinsel dress? She's Salvador Dali's illegitimate granddaughter. Her husband does virtual reality retail experiences for Selfridges. She makes all her own jewelry out of action figures. It's really nice. Oh, that's Flo Chante. She makes the cutest porn ever. She's a major influencer on Instagram. You know, she almost broke OnlyFans last Christmas when she released her reindeer masturbation video. The bald guy over there. That's Quentin with the missing tooth. He just moved to Margate and will not shut up about it. But apparently he designed a bath for Tracy Emmons' new house. I met him on a ceramics course. Did I tell you I do ceramics now? Yeah, bowls. Of course, we invited Gilbert and George, but they never crossed Kingsland Road on a Wednesday. Anyway, I should probably shut up. I'll tell you more later. I think what's lovely about this is that there's no sort of confines of what you can do and and in each episode you're really kind of just thinking about where can I go with this how can I make it interesting where can I take it and that really does come through each sound world is so different yes there's a style we can hear it's you know it's made by the same people it's made by you but you can feel that you're playing with this new canvas this new paint that you've discovered and and that's there's something exciting about that I really feel that actually I feel like I found a great new medium both that I haven't really discovered and haven't really explored and also that I feel the community as of artists and as makers like we haven't really explored it enough obviously people have been making very interesting audio works for years and years and years but in terms of podcast storytelling i feel that there's so much more that can be uncovered about how to use the medium like i'm really excited about what is possible in storytelling in sound and i was nervous and i'm still a bit nervous that like each sound world's episode is like too different from the other ones and people don't know what they're going to get each time. When I started Sound Worlds or when I was just thinking about it, I originally thought like, oh, maybe this should be like a platform that would present, which is exactly what you're doing, basically, <laughs> you know, yeah. like a platform to present <laughs> yeah. other yeah. sound works. And then I got yeah. into it and I was like, actually, no, you know what? I want I want this to be a place where I'm making things that I'm, I want to make. Can I just tell you and your listeners where it's going? Exactly. I was about to ask you, tell me about your next series. So... I mean, the first series was like, what have we got? Let's adapt things that are, you know, pre-existing and call in some friends and then maybe, you know, have a few new ideas. And the collaboration that we did with Erase Tapes kind of pointed the way forward for like future sound worlds where the second season we came back and said, okay, well, let's do another season, but it should be all new work. Let's not have anything adapted that's been sitting around and let's commission new artists. But we were also thinking about different ways of structuring it. So there were some kind of adaptation. So we did two episodes that were album adaptations where we just chose pre-existing albums and kind of put text and sound design into those on and on top of those albums. And then we did things like this children's book adaptation. And I was very consciously kind of like, touching on different formats. We adapted a play uh, by a woman named Joanna Nastari, which ended up as the episode called Work. And then we commissioned new stuff, like we commissioned a, a new piece by Travis Alabanza. In the process, I was kind of figuring out who I like to work with, what way I like to work, and what I thought the the kind of idea of the podcast should be. And my feeling was that, yes, it was about sort of sound experiments, but I wanted it to be really centered on the uh, music as one of the like essential storytelling elements and, and kind of thematic elements of each piece where music is kind of integral 
to the effect and not as a kind of mm, incidental or scoring or, or those kinds of things. And I really liked working particularly with contemporary musicians. So the way that I'm moving Sound Worlds and, and what's going to be reflected in our next season is that we start each episode with a musical artist at the kind of center a center of the of the creation process and the center of the like the idea of the episode and then that musical artist determines what their collaborator should be who could be a storyteller of some kind um, either a writer or another a theater maker find a context and a form that fits whatever they're doing sonically first and then create the piece out of that Ultimately, I think those pieces that we create in this way can come back to the stage where you have these storytelling pieces will become live events again. Um, so this kind of combination of, of gig and theater and, and finding ways that like musical artists can push their work into more experiential and more kind of narrative formats and spaces. I've returned in a way to my first love, which is, you know, pop music and rock opera and like all of those kinds of form. It's just so sad. I remember we went to see it on stage. Walking in the air Floating in the moonlit sky People far below are sleeping as we fly We're holding very tight I'm riding in the midnight blue I'm finding I can fly so high above I guess the thing to do is also to tell people where they can listen. Well, yeah, and they must they must listen. You can listen to Sound Worlds on any podcast platform. Uh, we also have a website if you want to go to soundworlds.org. And I would recommend going to the website because then you see all the beautiful illustrations. Mm. Um, and I wish you... Good luck in the um, drama awards. I know it's like a cliche to say, oh, it's such an honor to be nominated. But to make the kind of finalists, which is like top three, basically, you know, in the face of the fact that like we are a completely self-produced, you know, independent storytelling podcast, you know, against a lot of BBC productions with lots of famous people in them. So I think, you know, in that sense, I would already consider myself a winner for just being in the room with all these like <laughs> yeah, fancy yeah, people. Sure. And being part of this, what people are calling a sonic turn, you know, people from all sorts of backgrounds turning to sound and, and finding sound as a new medium to experiment with. So I think, you know, it's an interesting time. Yeah, it's so funny, you know, like what is old is new. Everyone just going back to, but in a different way, I suppose, but going back to, to listening. Just puts me right back there. Sitting in the theater between my mother and father, holding their hands. That's it from me and thank you to Pat Eakin Young and do go and find Sound Worlds, one word, on your favourite podcast platform and just immerse yourself. You've been listening to the Transmitter Radio Hour from Social Broadcasts. If you want to hear more audio works by other people past and present, subscribe to xmtr.fm, a curated platform dedicated to sonic storytelling, featuring works by radio makers, podcasters and sound artists from all over. I'll be back with more audio, radio and podcast discoveries in May. So in the meantime, happy listening. <laughs>